0: Always a pleasure to come to um, our Equipus family down around the country, particularly in Wellington. Uh, we just love and adore Jordan and Chrissy and the kids, and uh, everything that this brother carries, I'm in awe of. Just uh, how much heart, but brains as well. Yeah. <laughs> Don't often get that in pastors. <laughs> and so, yeah, I really, really, really love you guys and honor you for what you've done. Um, and honor you guys, I, I think it's, there's something about this city that is um, strong, and therefore it needs a strong people of God, and I, just, I feel like this morning you guys just deserve a pat on the back, just for getting together, you know, in the middle of this city and making a stand, and standing up for Jesus. This, this building is, you know, is, is sanctified, is set aside, consecrated for, as the kingdom of God. You know when you go into your land, you plant your flag? That's what it feels like. This building here, right? This little, this little plot on the corner of the street, planted flag. This is the sovereignty of Jesus right here in this place. You feel it? Yep. We do. We do need to wake up, eh? I'm like, <laughs> hey, hey, is it time to take the jacket off? It's yeah. oh, hot. Hey, I wore the jacket out of respect. And now I'm taking that respect off. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to get straight into casual mode, because, because um, this is family. Whether you like it or not, I'm welcoming myself and helping myself to the fridge. Um, can I talk about this stuff before I, before I forget and I get wrapped up in what we're doing? Out there on the table, um, over the last year, Libby and I have both written books. Um, yeah, and we're wrapped about them, really, really excited. Libby's book is called Journey, and she doesn't, she's actually run out of books out there, but what she, what she was doing was this notepad with her book. So you can go out to the table afterwards, order the book, and get the notepad kind of in one big deal. Cool. Um, my one's called Rebranding Worship. And, um, and y- you know, every time I come here, I talk about worship. It's because for, for four years, God had really placed something on my, on my heart and downloaded a bunch of stuff from the Bible about worship. I finally got it down into one concise 500-page book. No, no. <laughs> I actually, I forgot. It's about 240 pages, so it shouldn't take you much more than half an hour to read uh, if you're Jordan. Um, is that Cool. Please go and grab that. Um, I'm amazed at the amount of of talented people around this this joint. Just up on the stage here, seeing these guys, seeing these cats. Yesterday, spending time with the creative teams, the Laha guys, your guys. Uh, There is, like, there's amazing talent here. And so our heart has always been not just for, you know, worshippers in the church overall, but creative people to be able to express worship in a way that's honoring, truly honoring and serving to God. And building, a, and building a church, and so one of the ways we do that is by running the school called Equippers Creative Lab, Equippers Creative Lab, it's really, it's really there, um, you know, I, we don't normally tell them, because there's a couple of guys here, but we don't normally tell them uh, until we're kind of halfway through the year that we suck you in with the music, but really it's a discipleship school, yeah. <laughs> we suck you in with the music, but we want to get you ready to be not just Christian artists, but just Christians. Who just serve in the arts. In uh, the same way as you wouldn't say, you know, I'm a Christian bank manager or I'm a Christian mechanic. You're just a Christian and you're serving out your Christ-like life yeah, right. in whatever realm you're in. And that's what we want to do with the creative people. Take them, teach them how to be Christians <laughs> and show up to work on time, you know, and pay your bills and uh, do the dishes and still be able to be shredding up here on the guitar. Cool. All right, so please go ahead. and If you are interested at all, please go ahead and grab one of these out at the table. Come talk to us because our heart is to train you. Um, uh, talking about Josh and the guys, you know the revolution stuff. This is how this is how we party, all right? We define the party. That song, um, it's available here on download. If you haven't already got it on on iTunes, um, Josh and and our whole generation of guys. The Keenan, who's Mark Stevenson's son, Gracie sings on it. There's those guys have just been going mental. I really believe there's something on those guys and on the, on the revolution youth movement around the country. Uh, and what's cool about this stuff is not just songs. They actually reflect a movement. And I was able to take this stuff over to the States recently, and we did that song, and I, like, we had this opportunity to do any song we wanted to in front of this international crowd uh, on Israel Houghton's platform, and we chose to do that song because it represents what's happening in New Zealand. And and then I had the problem of being a 48-year-old clown uh, trying to to represent the song. But we did it, and it just went mental. Churches around America are doing it now, because they they just heard it. And so they were praying for the next generation at this whole conference. Israel's jumping around the stage saying, let there be a revolution, let there be a revolution, let there be a revolution. And I'm standing on the side of the stage thinking, there already is, bro. It started in New Zealand. It's already happening. It's already happening. you Are you with me? Wake up, then. <laughs> Come on, make some noise. Okay, all right, we'll get into it. Who, who wants a book, by the way? Oh, go and buy it, then. Ah. Now I've seen your hand, I know who you are. <laughs> I don't expect to see you at the table. <laughs> I'm sorry to rip you off like that. I will actually give you one, (laughs) because you're awesome. Okay, um, Romans 8, one of my favorite verses ever, is the one that says, The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. This is one of the verses in Romans 8. I I, kind of read it quickly, and I, I knew it was somewhere in Romans 8. I didn't even write the verse number. It was just, it's just one of the verses that I love, and it's in the message version. Let me read it again. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. It's not until you've met someone that has been brutalized by the tyranny of sin and death that you appreciate the spirit of life in Christ. It's not until you've been tyrannized. By, a bru- by the brutality of sin and death. And, you've, and I've, we've got students in our, in our school this year, and I, I'm, I talk to them, and I see this cloud over their life because of the stuff that they've grown up with, and now they have to try and battle through this crap. You know people like that. You know people around your world that have to battle through. Just, it seems like just it's so unfair. The things that you grew up that you thought were normal, things like integrity, honesty, discipline those things that should have been taught and these guys have to battle through all that along with abuse and all the stuff that happens with them and the end result is you get this dark cloud all around them and they can't even see where they're going let alone have to try and find a life in there somewhere along the way they stumble into a church somebody somebody prays the sinner's prayer over them and now they're a christian and they're going well isn't this christian life supposed to be supposed to set me free They've learned to sing the songs, but they're not actually living in freedom. They come to church, but they're, not, they're still not, they've not broken through that cloud. And so what do I say to guys like that? I say this verse. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifestyle of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. The, the, at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter how... How many times we come to church, there's got to be a sign of you living free. There's got to be a sign of you living free. It's got to be real. It's got to be power. And and in order for you to tap into that power, you need to tap into the spirit of life in Christ. I reckon one of the greatest battles God has had in his church throughout history is his own people turning a beautiful, love, intimate, spirit-filled life relationship into stone-cold ritual and religion. That's what we're fighting. It's, it's got to be real. Yeah, it's good. And the one thing yeah, that makes it real is relationship. When we come together and we worship, it's not. It's like when, when you come together and you worship, you can sing the songs or you can look for a time to get close with him. Meg, yeah. yeah. yeah, you did awesome this morning. Yeah. Love your voice. Love your spirit. You're leading. You're there. You're reaching out. And... When you get a worship leader that's like that, it's sometimes you know it's cool to support the worship leader. Yeah. It's actually better for you just to chase God. Yeah, and the worship, the worship team and the worship leader are just there to facilitate our worship. Yeah. Yeah. We're not there just to kind of, hey, these guys are doing great. Hey? Let's give them a hand. You know, or, Let's support them by singing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. That's not why we're there. Yeah. We're actually there to maintain this, uh, this intimacy. It's got to get emotional. When you talk about a spirit-filled life, you can't have a spirit-filled life without the emotions. No, it's, like, it's like date night. <laughs> Even your scheduled date night. You've seen the movie. <laughs> right? That's what my date nights are like. <laughs> we get together and it's like, oh. No, it's, I don't know why it is that date night happens to fall on the time when, it's just, when it feels least like doing it. You're tired, you're worried, you're you're broke, you know, and you you go, what do you do? What do you do? You have to try and make this time where you get together and you force yourself to interact. You force yourself to talk and, and to try and conjure up feelings. Why? Because otherwise you just live this life in existence. How many Christians are living their life in existence, but they never force themselves to interact with the Spirit of God, the actual Spirit of God? Christianity 101, spend time with God. Spend time with him. When does it, it stop becoming religion? When does it start becoming just, I mean, yeah, when does it start becoming a real relationship? Uh, John 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I reckon, I reckon Satan has stolen our, our relationship away by stealing all the stuff of the spirit. I, I, just, I reckon part of this, of course, is music. When I, when I looked through, I, I was actually doing a bit of a study and looking through church history in terms of music and art. And I realized, man, what, what happened? You could see it. It's a sign of the spirit. Where there is a spirit, there's an explosion of creativity. Yeah. See, when, with our, first, our first organized worship was when Moses got together. Moses supported everybody, and God said, Hey, listen, you guys don't even know me. There's no relationship. So I'm going I'm to force you to start some kind of worship ceremony ritual so that you can just start to get into the habit of recognizing that I'm there. Yeah. Cool? And so he put together a big tent, put a box in the middle of it, and said, I want you to slaughter cows. That was your worship. Just kill cows. There was no music. There was no no emotion in there. I'm sure you could come with your cow and cry over poor Betsy that's about to die. You know, but there wasn't wasn't like this, oh, Lord, you've been so good to me. Here's a cow. You know, it was just, that's right, I'm supposed to do this. It was very much have to. And it wasn't until thousands of years later that David came along and he reorganized worship. And he said, listen, with Moses, it was have to. With David, he turns it into want to. Now I want to worship. David was the guy that, that introduced music because it was a natural part of him. David was a man after God's own heart. Love David. David was one of my freaking heroes. Because he was the, he was the guy that introduced a relationship, not just instead of his external rules. He was the one that came and said, Lord, I really do want to worship you. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran away from God. When David sinned, he ran into God. And instead, because he knew what was in the heart of God, he was a man after God's own heart, he ran into God saying, created me a clean heart. Imagine God's eye. The last time somebody sinned, the memory of Adam and Eve still in his mind when they sinned running away from the one that that loved them so much more. And David instead runs in. Can you imagine what it did to the heart of God? That's what I want, my son. Relationship. And so David leads the people into that type of worship. And surprise, surprise, when that type of worship happens, music and, and emotion, the spirit of God dwells in that. You know, before that time, if you wanted to hear from God, you had to, you had to hear him through a prophet. In that moment, all of a sudden, he introduces the spirit of prophecy. Yeah, cool. Now you don't have to listen through one guy. Right. Worship, and, and the Bible says God dwells in the praises of his people. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God is dwelling in the praises of his people, and he starts whispering in people's ear. When did we take on this vibe of worship that we have today? And what do we model our modern worship on? We don't model it on the early church. We don't model it off Acts. Everything we do in worship today, we model it off David. That that ain't New Testament. That's Old Testament. Which means the Spirit of God was around in the Old Testament. It's always been his heart. It's always been his desire to have a relationship with you. So if if David started that, I'm like, man, what it meant to God, David, that later on he would call his own son a son of David. Oh, shucks. (laughs) And then later on, Jesus himself comes to the planet. This is cool. Jesus himself comes to the planet, and he brings with him, again, a rush of the Spirit. Now, this is, this is interesting. When Jesus was in the womb, it said he was filled with the Holy Spirit right from, that, right from conception. That's pretty awesome. But then later on, 30 years later, he gets baptized, and it said the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. What do you mean descended on him? Didn't he already have it? There's a difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and on you. The Holy Spirit was in him for 30 years, developing him developing his relationship with the Father, identifying who he was, helping him grow, helping him live pure and holy. 30 years he lived without sinning. That's a big deal. You can't do that in your own strength. You've got to have the Holy Spirit's help to do that. So after 30 years then, what, what did God say to him? It was like his graduation from his first phase of his mission. For 30 years, Jesus, I just want you to go there, grow up and don't sin. And that will qualify you for the next phase which is your mission out to the rest of the planet. And so he, I can see him at the end of that time goes, right, now it's time for me to go and go and, uh, minister to somebody else. So then he goes over the hill. He sees John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. He comes down. He's, he goes to get baptized by John. John says, this is not right. You should be baptizing me. Jesus said, no, it's appropriate. Because yeah, as our example... To, be, to minister to everybody else, the first and foremost, we have to acknowledge God and submit ourselves to him. Yeah. Well, This is the only guy that, that didn't need to. It's the only guy that never sinned. Why did he still have to do that? If it, was, if it was appropriate for Jesus to do that, how much more so us? When it comes to ministry, I still don't think that half of us are actually submitted to God. So how can we minister with any authority if we've still got areas in our life that we haven't submitted? Oh, <laughs> I, I took the jacket off for a reason. So Jesus goes down in the water, comes back out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him. I can see God now going, man, all this time I've been waiting for someone who's a safe place for my Holy Spirit to be able to land on so that he can go and minister to somebody else. There's, a, there's an analogy And when Noah sent out the dove, when Noah sends out the dove, it's the only other story with a dove in it. Noah sends out the dove to look for dry land. When it can't find any, it comes back to the one who sent it. Jesus, God is in heaven saying, I want to minister my spirit around the planet, but I'm looking through the ages and I can't find a safe place to land. So it returns to the one who sent it until Jesus comes. And then the Bible says that he rend open the heavens and poured the poured the Spirit into the planet. And then the Holy Spirit found a safe place to land on Jesus. And it said he descended on him and remained there. With the Spirit on him and the Spirit in him. And the difference is the Spirit is in you for you, but he's on you for someone else. The spirit is in you for you, but he's on you for someone else. He's on you to minister. He's in you to let you know who you are, to develop you. But if you're going to minister to somebody else, you need to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that only comes by following the example that Jesus gave, fully submitted life in relationship with God. There was no cold stone religion. There was no just, just worth meaningless habits with him. He didn't go to the synagogue just out of habit. He went because he had a relationship with his father. He didn't call it the synagogue. He, he called it his father's house. That's when it becomes relationship. Right. When you start calling this your house, now it's relationship. If you keep referring to it as the church, you're pretty soon you'll be complaining against the church. Yeah, well, so okay. well, <laughs> hey, we're, hey, we hear it all the time. Oh man, the problem with the church... You are the church. That's like me standing in my, home, in my own home saying, man, the problem with this house, yeah. hey, no, there's, there's no hospi- hospitality here. <laughs> no hospitality here. Visitors come and, and the dishes aren't done. What a mess. <laughs> Whose responsibility is that? It's like the preachers that get up and say, the problem with this generation is forgetting who it was that raised that generation. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> hey. So so God sends the Holy Spirit onto Jesus, who's about to minister to everybody else, Jesus himself, and he goes into the desert and gets tempted by the devil. Wait, he's lived for 30 years without sinning. He's willingly submitted himself to God. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit, and still he has to go through a desert time. He's just heard God say, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And so he was obviously so pleased with him that he sent him into the desert to be <laughs> tempted by the devil for 40 days. Most of us end up in the desert because we think God is disple- displeased with us. We go, we find ourselves in a wilderness time and we think that God is punishing us. Perhaps he's just getting you ready to minister. It's a, it's a cool little thing because Jesus goes into the desert. He comes out of the desert, goes straight to a synagogue, and, and there he says, he reads out from Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We've just seen that. Spirit of, and to what? He's anointed me to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, to declare the day of God's vengeance. Vengeance against who? against a dark kingdom that's, that's oppressed us for centuries. And nobody's noticed it. You know, all that time, all that time, the, he, Jesus comes, he's anointed by the Spirit, he walks in, the only person that recognizes him is the guy with the demon. Yeah, right. uh, you, you need to be opening your mouths wider than that when it comes to that. Yeah. Think about that the anointed son of God walks into a church and the only person that recognizes him is the demonic spirit. <laughs> John 1 says the light comes into his own, but it's his own didn't even recognize him. How does that happen? Sometimes we, we don't recognize Jesus because we don't, we don't make the effort to. That's why worship for me is so important. It gives me a chance to recognize what he's done, to remember what he's done, to acknowledge him. Jesus, I will never forget what you've done. I don't care how bad things get, get the glass is, is going to be half full. You know, like Jordan says, the day is it's always a good day. Doesn't matter how bad it gets, he died for my sins. Doesn't matter how bad it gets, I've got a life of victory. I've got an eternity with him to look forward to. Doesn't matter how bad it gets, his presence is always with me doesn't matter how bad it gets. For that reason, I will come in and do what the Bible says. I will enter his course with thanksgiving. I will enter his gates with praise. I will come and say, this is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> I will rejoice for he has made me glad. <laughs> he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has... Is... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, eh? When we read these things, I like, can't stop dancing. That, like, this is, this is how we put it. Every moment in your freedom makes me want to dance. And I realize most of the time I'm singing that I'm not dancing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every, moment in your, every moment in your freedom makes me want to dance. Do we mean that? Sometimes we sing that, let there be endless praise, and then it ends. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we sing these songs, but don't actually mean them. It's a challenge to us. Walk through your day ceaselessly praying and praising. Walk through your day with an attitude of praise, an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of joy. That means you have to go against your feelings. I'm convinced that the opposite of faith is feelings. It's not doubt. The opposite of faith is your feelings. It's your feelings that tell you not to praise. It's your feelings that tell you to be sad. It's your feelings that tell you to do horrible stuff. It's your feelings that tell you to go get drunk. It's your feelings that tell you to go sleep with that chick. It's your feelings that tell you to jump on the computer at night. It's your feelings that tell you to eat something. It's your feelings that tell you to do that. And so the opposite of that is to have faith and say, no, I don't need that God as my provision. No, I don't need that God as my provision. Are you feeling that? (laughs) (laughs) thank you for that overwhelming response (laughs) and so Jesus Jesus goes in to the synagogue anointed with the Holy Spirit uh, which is what we are supposed to do we are supposed to go and do what he did with the same spirit on us the same Holy Spirit of God anointed by him to and for us to have the confidence to say man he's anointed me to preach the good news he's anointed me to set the captives free he's anointed me to do all that stuff um and then I wonder if, if we are truly anointed when we've gone. Oh. <laughs> when, we've, when we are truly anointed, how many people will recognize us? Yeah, will the demons recognize you? That's a scary thought. You know, I wonder how much demonic activity is still happening in our church and in our family. And, and they're not even bothered by us. Sitting just quietly doing their thing. Like this guy. I wonder how long he was sitting in his synagogue. Probably years uninterrupted because nobody recognized it until a guy anointed with the Spirit walks in and starts to say, hey, hey, day of vengeance is now, buddy. Your time is over. He brought the the rain. He defined the party. Hey, it wasn't the other way around anymore. How much stuff is going on in your world because you're letting it and nobody's recognizing anything? You're not recognizing them and they are not recognizing you. It's time we it's time we got hard and went chasing after God. And we're chasing after him. Where's the joy? It's amazing how powerful you can be in worship alone. It's amazing that little interchange that happens. We stand in here, we worship God and say how much we love him. He goes out and, and beats on the devil because of us and then comes back and calls us mighty warrior. So we all, it, we're, we're all now starting to feel a bit hungry for that right now. We're all going, oh, man, yeah, I, I want to chase the Spirit. I want to be anointed. I want to I go for it. I want to chase after God some more. And, yet, and so many of us want to go out and minister in power. We really do want to see that stuff. But so many of us are still back in the desert. We're still being tested. And I'm here to tell you to have some patience. You're still being tested. Jesus did it in 40 days. We take a little longer. But there were basically three tests that Jesus went through. Can I tell you what they were? Test number one was identity. God had just told him, this is my son, with whom I'm, who I love, whom I am well pleased. And then he went in there, and the first thing Satan tested him on was, if you really are the son, then do this. And for us, just to know who we are is a big deal. Just to know that we are, the, we are a son or a daughter of God. To know our rights as royalty. Romans again says we are co-heirs with Christ. That's massive. To know how we are victorious, to know how we are conquerors. One day, I remember, I remember I was out in the patio and I was praying and I was going, Lord, give me some kind of worship that, that means more to you than it does to me. And immediately, I read the verse, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Tap your hands on you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, crap. Because by nature, I'm not that guy. I'm not the shout unto God guy. I'm the quietly stand in the back guy. Yeah. I'm that guy, yeah. right? Just keep the dignity, keep the coolness, uh, whilst still being kind of one pocket in the hand holy. <laughs> 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 hey, hey, hey! <laughs> now, everybody's going, "Oh, do I do that?" <laughs> right? That's me. And so when I read shout unto God, there was a triumph. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to do this, and I, and I had done. The only times I had shouted was when I was in the middle of a big conference, and everybody was around me shouting. That's easy to do, easy to do that. But I can do that at rugby. Yeah. Go you beauty, you know, with everybody else is shouting. You can do that at that. You can do that when you're in the car, shouting at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my way, you bloody <laughs> <laughs> But when it comes to shouting with a voice of triumph. I was there silent. And so I, I remember trying it out. I'm sure I've told this story before. It's ridiculous. Because it was broad daylight. I was outside. The neighbor's window was right there and open. And I thought, hey, how am I going to do this? I'm going to have to try. I'm going to have to do this. Right? And so I was like going, hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it sounded like. <laughs> hey. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> and I felt stupid. And I remember going, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard to shout unto God? And I read it again. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The reason I couldn't shout was because I had no triumph. And so I had to go figure out, why am I triumphant? Believe it or not, I had to read the Bible to do that. I had to read through the Bible, find out exactly why I was triumphant. Jesus has defeated sin for me. I can have a lifelong, eternal relationship with, with God. For that reason, Satan has no power over me. I don't care what he, what he can do, what he can bring up to me. He, he has no power because Christ's blood has covered me. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. Since the beginning, before the foundation of the world, Jesus did that. For that reason, I can stand and say, it doesn't matter if, I'm, if I look weak. I can boast in that weakness because God's grace is here for me. His mercy is new every, every day, and His grace is sufficient for me. Yeah. Every single one of these verses, all of that stuff, all of a sudden came into me and told me who I was. I was a co-heir with Christ more than a conqueror. Nothing could separate me from His love. When I've got that type of identity... Now I don't have to be worried about what people think of me. Yeah. Satan can come and lie to me and accuse me of everything, but I know who I am. Yeah, good. When you know who you are, then, you have, then, you have, then you're qualified to go out and tell somebody else. Yeah, yeah. But until you know who you are, what are you ministering to somebody else? Yeah. You're just ministering your orphaned state. state. Come on. If you, if you don't know who you are in Christ, what are you ministering to somebody else? You end up just ministering your own weakness and insecurities. And that's why people of like spirit get together. Hey, you can never just see one rebel. <laughs> it's a, no, I could go on. I better not. <laughs> yeah, that we always gather together because like spirit attracts like. The first test was the identity thing. The second one was power, believe it or not. Jump off here and the angels will save you. Isn't that what the word says? That's what Satan said to Jesus. Jesus says, fall back, man. Don't test God. You know, the, only other, the only place it says to test God is when it comes to tithes. The rest of the time it says don't test him. When you were, when it's, I think of power, like the ability to handle power and God giving power the same way as he, he deals with money. If he can't trust you with a little, he's not going to trust you with a lot. It's the same goes with power. We've we got a Swiss student in our school this year, and he, he's recently come back to the Lord after, after spending a few years in drugs, like hardcore drugs back in Europe. Uh, and, and everything that went with it. And so he's, he came back to the Lord after having a, a horrific experience in that whole world he came back out and he said man i got to find Jesus again and so he came out here to Creative Lab to try and find some of them to make his way back and so now he's, he's, he's back with a vengeance and he's going man I, I'm gonna get this and he's really he's quite a passionate radical kind of dude and in order to get to school our school is right in Mercury Theatre which is K Road and the red light district and homeless people and he has to walk past these people every day and so in his kind of radical state he's been getting to know everybody talking to them and, and, and trying to preach to them and trying to give them Jesus and trying to, just finding out who they are and what they come from and going, man, I've been in your state. I was exactly that guy back in Europe and all that. And he, and he meets this one lady who's been a prostitute since he was 12 years old. Drugs, obviously, and, you know, got, got trapped into it. And, uh, and, she's, and he's trying to get Jesus through the hair, and she's saying, screw Jesus. You know, and he, and he walks into school and goes, where's the power? Where's the power, Pastor Wayne? That's what he's saying to me. I'm looking back and I'm going, I'm with you, man. (laughs) Because where's the power? Hey, it's got to be real. Where's the power? And and, and this frustrating question that surrounds so many of us, where's the real power? Where's the power for me to go pray for someone with cancer and see them healed, like I saw Benny Hindu. Hey, look, we hear all these stories about Smith Wigglesworth and we want to be that guy. Am I alone in this? Good, no, we want to be that guy that, that does all those power things. But God, can God trust you with power? What, what power has he given you, have you seen, and you still don't trust him? Sometimes he, like, he, gives you this, he gives you this power. He answers nine prayers out of ten, and then he doesn't answer the tenth, and you, all of a sudden you get amnesia and you forget about the other nine he did. Yeah. And you're like, oh God, you're not there for me. He's going, wait, I just, I I gave, nine times you prayed for money, he gave it to you. The one time he doesn't, you lose your faith. (laughs) Where's the power? Where's the faith? He's got to trust you with that. You've got to have maturity. You've got to have authority. And with that stuff, you grow in it like everything else. Jesus gets tempted with with the identity. He gets tempted with the whole power thing. And eventually, God does want to entrust you with power. Believe me, He wants you to have power. But you've got to earn it. You've got to grow into it. You've got to believe for it. You've got to start building your faith in that. And the third thing He tested on was worship. Satan said to Jesus, I'll give you all this if you'll just worship me. That seems like really, really, really basic. The question of worship who will I worship? When we say that, if Satan showed up to you right today and he said, listen, I'll give you a whole bunch of stuff if you will worship me, of course you'd say no. Of course you'd say, get away, I worship only Jesus. Right? But if, Jesus present, if Satan presented himself to me in the form of a Big Mac, <laughs> hey, all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, hey, what's your Big Mac? That's the thing, believe it or not, that you keep saying yes to when you know it's bad for you. That's the thing you worship. Wow. If, you th- if you think about it, that's the thing you bow down to. That's the thing you enslave yourself to. Is it not? We, we, I live in the world of worship. so I, I, hear, I, I look at worship all the time. I'm seeing people worship stuff all the time. I'm seeing it in my own life. The things that I, I know when there's a break in relationship from me worshiping God and turning into worshiping something else, yeah. and that thing can change daily. Yeah, I I know it. It's easy for me to worship TV when I should be doing something else. It's easy for me to worship food. What's your big man? When we go through that stuff and God has to take us through these tests, we, we may not get them right, you know, all perfect, but the idea is as we go, we are still being tested in those things. Do you know your identity? Is your worship pure? Do you really, have you really submitted yourself to worship in God and God alone? And finally, power. Can he trust you with power? Can he entrust you with power so that you're not going to use it to go to your head? So you're not going to use it for any other. I remember, still, still remember as a kid trying to bend a spoon with my mind. You know, when I became a Christian, in Jesus' name. Trying to so bend it and try to move a spoon. Anybody else? No? Yeah. <laughs> hey. I uh, tried walking on water once. <laughs> Glad I had my tags, togs on. <laughs> no faith. Useless faith. <laughs> because, because it was just, I was a kid, I was a teenager looking for the power without the maturity to handle it. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of departments of power. There's a lot of areas that we're going to have power in. Uh, and God will probably entrust you. You notice that you have most power in the areas that you've been through most testing in. The authority that you have to minister to somebody else, that's power. The authority that, that comes from being tested and tried and refined and been through the fire and all of that, that's what comes, that's what shows in your area of authority. So when you, see, um, when you see Jesus ministering, he had the Holy Spirit on him, and when Jesus was on the planet, there was, so, there was an explosion of life. All of a sudden, the Spirit was in here. There was an explosion of life. People were getting healed. There were miracles, but also there was an explosion of song, believe it or not. When, when his disciples saw him doing what he did, he said, now you have the same authority that I do. You go out in my name, and you go make disciples. And Peter goes and preaches a sermon, 3,000 people come to the Lord. But it didn't stop there. It continued to grow and grow and grow. We're going to go into a bit of history here. Is that right? Yeah, it continued to grow and grow and grow. And there were thousands of songs written in those days. People have, like, archived them. They found a bunch of them. There's like 41 new Psalms that they put in this thing called the Odes of Solomon. And that was like the modern songbook of the day. (laughs) Um, the, the emperor used to send spies to figure out, man, what, all these people are becoming Christians. What are they doing? What's going on there? So the spies would report back. One guy reported back, but well, he, he hung around with this group of Christians and they would get up early in the morning. Remember, this is, this is in a system where they've had a synagogue and that's what they go to every day and they just read the word. Right, That's the system they're used to. He said, these guys would get up, go, go stand on a hill somewhere, stand in a circle and just sing freely. That was the first free worship. We didn't. Nobody did that. What is this craziness? They said they would just sing what was on their, what was in their minds, and what was in their heart. To us, that's kind of well, that's just improvisation. To them, it was a brand new way of worship. Brand new. Imagine being among the first guys to ever do that. Well, hey, well, no, I don't have, I don't have the words in front of me. What am I going to sing? And so when you see Paul then says, "Hey, sing, sing spiritual songs, psalms and hymns." Singing by the Spirit to one another. It's like, ah, that's cool. It's like, ah. Oh. And so um, these songs grew and grew and grew. And these songs were, eventually became the songs that, that these Christians would then sing when they were thrown to the lions. The, lions, the whole lions thing stopped because of the music. The crowd got so much into the singing and, and, and the conviction that, that they felt coming out of it that it was like, man, we are, we're so convicted by the strength of these, of these Christians singing that. It's got to stop. Where there's a spirit, there's an explosion of life. There's power. There is this, there's this relationship. But all of a sudden it becomes real. And so all these people were became Christians and Constantine the Emperor um, th- then made Christianity the state religion. And why did he do that? I don't reckon it was because he became such a, such a Christian. This is just my opinion. But I reckon he did it because he didn't want to lose the Christian vote. Yeah. And that shows by the fact that of course, because he was head of the state, he was also head of all the pagan religions. Yeah. So all the pagan stuff. And instead of getting rid of the old stuff because he still wanted to keep the pagan vote, Instead of getting rid of that, he took Christianity and just laid it over the top. And so you see all these pagan rituals with Christianity laid over the top. Easter. Where'd the Easter bunny come from? Hey, where'd the Christmas tree come from? That ain't a cross. <laughs> hey, all this stuff, all these, you know, all that stuff came from these pagan rituals. With Christianity laid on top. And as soon as you start to make, as soon as you start to force somebody to believe something, it stops becoming a relationship starts becoming religion, and that's exactly what happened. As soon as it became a forced religion, you could see mm-hmm. Satan get right in there, and he says, I'm going to take the life out of this. Yeah. I'm going to take the relationship out of this. I'm going to force you to do stuff you don't really want to do, and let's, let's start with these, with these stupid songs. And so what he did was, over the next 300 years or so, he started, he started taking the life out of all the songs. He said to them, hey, listen, um music is the rhythm in music is way too sensual. So let's take that out. In fact, harmony is also way too colorful, and you are too that's too unholy. So let's take that out. Now you're left with this rhythm, rhythmless, monotone chant called the Gregorian chant. And then and then um and then he said, Listen, uh, you, in fact you guys are so unholy you're not, you're not even allowed to sing this stuff we'll get the choirs to sing it while you stand there and listen in fact you're not even holy enough to hear it in your own language let's, let's translate into Latin so that nobody else can, can, can hear it except you have to believe us let the same with the word of God let's, say, let's translate the word of God into Latin because you're, you're too unholy to hear it in your own language so you just have to believe me when I tell you what the word says and as soon as you give a man that kind of power, he uses it for his own corruption. And so the church started preaching whatever they wanted. Yeah. Indulgences. Who's heard of indulgences? Man, the church used to preach some ridiculous stuff. Until guys like Martin Luther came along and said, hey, that's not what the word says. Yeah. That's not what it says. And he started preaching some truth. Yeah. But for a thousand years, that's what worship was. You coming, standing in, in this church, you weren't allowed to sing anything. You could only listen to these guys sing this monotone chant in a language you didn't understand. And that was worship. How did it get from Jesus, this life of, this explosion of life, this Holy Spirit, these people singing in free worship, all these beautiful songs being written out of a relationship to this stone-cold monotone chant in in an unknown language you couldn't even understand? And because the church was now not singing anything full of life, music had to find a way somewhere, and so it went out into the world. You know who started really bringing music throughout Europe? Muslims from Spain. Spanish Muslims, troubadours, used to to travel through the country singing songs about love. Love and lust, no doubt, you know the Spaniards. And thus, pop music was born. Because the church was silent, pop music came out. Stupid, eh? It should be the other way around. We're the ones that should be singing about life and love through God's eyes. Love the appropriate way of doing it. Love the way it was designed to be, Mm -hmm. not the way that pop music does. Pop music still just sings about love and lust. It's all they sing about, booty, licious, baby. (laughs) 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 That's all they... It's ridiculous how, how, what, they, what they say is love. But they're only doing it because we shut our mouths. See, we, we don't sing about life. We don't tap into the Spirit of God. And therefore, what comes out of us is just legalism. And so the world has to find a way. Well, where's all the fun? And so they sing what they think is fun, and then we preach against them. <laughs> the answer is not just stop preaching against them. The answer is to sing what real life is, to sing what real love is, to sing what a real intimacy it is, to sing what real relationship is, to sing with real power, to sing with this spirit of life that clears away this life of sin and death. That's what it's about, for us to tap into a Holy Spirit that is so, so full of power and so ready to imbue you with power, if we would just give ourselves to Him, chase after Him, become God chasers, God pursuers. That's what it's all about. I reckon we need a keyboard player. <laughs> if I was to go through and, and tell you just so many, I wish I had time to go through the, the years that came after that of just of what happened with church music alone, let alone pop music. We've had so many worship leaders throughout the throughout the centuries it's, and the decades. It's been it's been like it's actually sad when you when you think who who, who was who it was that really led worship through the '40s through the '50s. You know who are going worship in the '40s and '50s? Elvis Presley. '60s, Beatles. Hey, they were the ones that leading worship. They were the ones singing what the people were worshiping. '70s, Rolling Stones. '80s, Michael Jackson. And you know, you see the history, the cover of the history album, big statue of Michael. instead of, instead of being who he was designed to be worshiping God and leading other people to worship God he built a statue of himself because the church who led worship in the 90s? Foo Fighters? 2000s? When did Beyonce come? Is she singing about Jesus? She should be. Where are our Beyonce's?